Chinna Boot. Hello, how you doing? This is Jim from Chinna Boot, letting you know that this week's episode of Chinna Boot is a little bit different because, as you may have heard from last week's instalment, I made a cunt of it and managed to delete my portion of the episode because obviously we're all in different houses at the moment, so we record ourselves individually and then put them up to the Google Drive for whoever's editing. And I managed to delete my recordings thinking I'd already uploaded them and even the recycling bin said, are you sure about this? And I looked through every single file that was there and went, yep, just get that to fuck, don't need that anymore. And then spent 13 hours trying to recover it, even downloaded and paid 50 quid for a subscription for some recovery software. And the whole thing ended with me sitting on my couch in the dark at four o'clock in the morning, nearly crying because I'm not very good with technology at the best of times, but I didn't want it to beat me. Even though it was my fault, I didn't want it to win. And I really did try and recover it, but, and I actually, I did. It scanned everything, every file that ever been in my computer ever. And I actually got the recordings, recovered them and tried to play them and they wouldn't work. And so it was at that point that I thought, right, this is just not worth it. I'm going to go to bed. So, what you're going to get this week is... The intro is an attempt at me trying to record myself <laughs> and what my responses to what the other guys might have been. And obviously that wasn't going to work throughout the whole thing. So, luckily, it's my music history. So it's mainly me talking. So, I've got bits where Dougal is asking me questions because he was the one interviewing me got that and I've got another couple of little bits for you that I hope you enjoy including a song that was never meant to be published uh, or released I should say so I really do hope you enjoy it um, it is our last episode of season three and you know it's been emotional and I hope that you don't mind listening to me talking to myself too much so that's two and a half minutes I intended for this intro to be a minute long so I've already outstayed my welcome so what you're going to hear next is me having a go at some tricky editing. I hope you enjoy. What's happening here then? Is it another episode of Tuna Boot and that's how you're introducing it? That's exactly what it is. It's not just, it's not just in our episode. It's not just in our episode. Of course not. We have a couple of very exciting things happening in this episode, William. Would you like to ask me what they are? What are they, Dougal? Thank you for asking. That's really nice of you. They are two separate no things that I'm going to explain right now. <laughs> the first one is uh, the first one is that we are doing our last music history, and this week we've brought onto our music history our very own good pal with one hand, but he more than makes up for it in his taste in music. It's Jim. The giant peach, Rennie. Say hello, Jim. Hello, everyone. Um, how are you? The second thing that's happening today is this, ladies and gentlemen, and everyone, is our last ever episode of season three of Tuna Boot. We've made it. We got there. Well done, lads. Woo! Woo! We can finally end this fucking nightmare. (laughs) 
Woo! <laughs> Get season. ready is for good. <laughs> season three was the season that we came into planned. We had 12 episodes ready and raring to go. And then shit kept on hitting the fan. And people, we've all missed an episode. We walked in with 12, walked out with 22. Um, yeah, it's been a roller coaster. <laughs> it's been fun, though. Um, to paraphrase REM, this is the end of Tunaboot as you know it. Uh, because season four will be moving in a slightly different direction. More all out Jim, Dougal, and Liam. And less us trying to pramble on about music that we can't actually describe to ourselves. Pramble? Yeah, we got sick of speaking about people who were more talented than us, so we're just speaking about us from now on. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. But yeah, we will, we'll revisit bits and pieces here and there. Hopefully we'll get some more music videos, episodes and stuff like last week. The, the episode that you all loved and was the best of season three. Uh... Uh, <laughs> well, you might... You, you, dear listeners might have noticed that we've been trying a few bits and bobs out in season three. That we're hoping to move forward and do a bit more in season four. Season three brought the birth of Talk About, mm-hmm. which has been a lovely experiment that we will definitely be doing again because it's fucking easy. <laughs> we <laughs> we did our ultimate playlists, which is probably the main thing that's coming back. And you know what? One day we might talk about music again. Yeah, there will definitely be music permeating all all tuna boot, but. It'll be less of the us trying to dissect it and us more showing our love for it. Yeah, that's a very nice way of putting it, actually. And uh, I, I think I just spent a little while here just threatening people, as Dougal is now going to explain. You definitely got less angry as those went on, I think. You went from giving people's aids to kicking their grands to swapping out their Doritos for a slightly hotter flavour. <laughs> hey, Jim, how's your hand? My hand is incredibly sore because I burnt it on the frying pan that I left in the oven whilst trying to make Gordon Ramsay-style hot wings. And uh, it hurts like fuck. Um. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um. Well, you know, hopefully you can make it through this next while. I will try and persevere. Mm. Season three, by the way, for all you guys who enjoyed it, it's also been a bit of a roller coaster for our advertising but uh, yeah so we started off with MJ Supplies and then uh, we dropped them because they hadn't given the boys their terrariums they're still waiting after a season and a good season of being um, sponsored by them then we went through getting sponsored by Bud until the point where we fancied a change and drank a tenants and since then it's been a bit of a roller coaster of advertisements from a lot of very real companies and I believe, Liam, do we have a sponsor for today? Yes, we do finally have a real sponsor that's Ooh. not my dad putting our podcast on his business website. <laughs> 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 so I got contacted by a guy called Jason and he sent me over uh, 
a little bit of money for sponsor sponsoring from him. That that words, sorry. Uh, he sent us over a little sponsor money, and he sent us a little script for us to read to uh, sponsor his business. Is that how it works? Is that how sponsors work? We get money, yeah. Um, yeah. If you not been yeah. getting any from all the companies, well, none of the previous ones. This is the first one I actually got a bank, a bank transfer. Oh, you shouldn't fuck a fuck off for three weeks to try and find some sponsors, then, mate. <laughs> So anyway, so Jason sent over this little script for me to read. Uh, if you guys are happy, to <laughs> let me do this. Yeah, yeah, why not? Cool. Right. Ready? Are the skeleton armies coming after you? Do your split ends multiply every time you chop them off? Do your friends call you names like Harpy because your hair's that shit? Well, head on down to Jason and the Argon Oil. Hair stuff galore. Ranges from head hair stuff to face hair stuff to body hair stuff. Get some now before the Argon's all gone. What a terrific sponsor. A great copy. Well read, if you don't mind me saying. Thank you. (laughs) What a sponsor to find. On such short notice as well. Now. Wow. My word, what an interesting sound to emit for reasons. <laughs> was, <laughs> have you never heard lights going down before? That was the sound, man. It's fine. I don't think light makes a sound, does it? <laughs> well, you should listen more, you know? It's fine. We'll try again. <laughs> Ooh. Wow. <laughs> Lights! Oh, the lights! The lights are coming! Let's carry on. Happy music history. Hi, Jim. How are you? Well, Diggle, spiffing doesn't begin to cover it. Let's just go, let's batter straight in to your sort of early memories of music, what your folks were listening to, what you were first sort of introduced to in the world of music. Alright, well, to start off with, um, in preparation for this episode, I made a list of music artists and bands and things that I was into before college, because it's a, it's a very important fulcrum um, from what came before it to the obsessions after it, I suppose. Um, I suppose the, the first place to start is U2. You two were my first ever favourite band when I went round to my childhood friend's house, a guy's called Mark, and he had a CD player, like a CD collection in his in his room, which I th- I've spoken about before, you know, as kids you don't generally have music collections, so I was just intrigued by that, I suppose, and it was around the time that How to, Dis- How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb had came out. I remember listening to it and just thinking, that's fucking nuts, that's brilliant. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, just being completely captivated by it and then coming home and saying to my mum, do you know what you 2 are? Do you know what you 2 is? And I just went, yeah, yeah, I've, I'm, I've heard of them, I'm familiar. And so that was my first obsession, really, and I got the first album I ever bought with my own money, which I say it was my own money, but it was probably money that was... Given, I didn't. I hadn't earned it, 
but it was technically mine. <laughs> the first album I ever bought was Dismantle an Atomic Bomb, which a lot of U2 fans don't claim is their, one of their best, but I, I think every song on it is brilliant. Even even if there is shit songs on it, I still love them, as I'm, I'm bound to. Um, and reflecting on it now, yeah, it's very... You know, very produced, and a lot of their albums are quite heavily produced and slick and things like this. But I think I feel like there's a I don't know, there's a certain tone to that album. But um, yeah, so I got into U two, and it was that album, also the Joshua Tree, and but also um, what's it called now? Sorry, I'm trying not to leave too many gaps because. I'm not going through, I'm not going to edit all of this <laughs> post-recorded stuff because it's been a nightmare enough as it is. <laughs> so it's, apologies if there's huge gaps, in, you know, my brain damage gaps. Um, but you know, Achtung Baby still blows my mind. Um, all You Can't Leave Behind still has some phenomenal songs on it. You know, and I think because people mistake... The, you know, not a mistake, but some people can't get around who makes the music. They can't separate the music from the the artist. You know, I'll always love you two. I'll always love all of them and all their music. But a lot of people have said, "Oh, Bono is just an arsehole, isn't he? He doesn't pay his staff." Or he did, one of the rumors was that he chartered a private jet or got a, a seat in a private jet or first class for his, his hat or something like that. And you know what? All these things may be true, but I, I can't, I can't help but not care really. You know, because when I when I listen to something like um, a song like "Gone" or "Walk On," you know, where the streets have no name doesn't. You know, there's so many. It's just it's un it's uncontrollable. So you two is always there. And then the next phase I had was Johnny Cash. Um, I remember being in the kitchen and hearing a boy named Sue on the radio and just thinking I was just so funny and so delightful and you know I, I was quite young. I was an early, I was an early teenager. I was an early. Teen- I wasn't a teenager before I was a teenager. Um, it's so hard to read whether or not this is funny because no one else is here to laugh or not, but. Um, just keep saying stuff while you're thinking at least make some sort of noise so it's not just quiet <laughs> um, yeah but even even when I was a teenager I could still identify that there was something rich and potent about Johnny Cash's voice and something very unique and to this day it's he still blows my mind you know not I'm not saying he was a terrible musician but he wasn't like the most gifted or adept guitar or, or piano or anything but there was just an honesty to his work that I've always um, responded to and my stepdad Derek sort of lament no it doesn't lament, the opposite of that um, is very happy that I listened to a much broader range of music than I did because it was U2 60s or Johnny Cash for I mean, a good five years but you know what can you do so the rest of the songs I have with artists I would hear, I've got Led Zeppelin. Um, Led Zeppelin was the greatest hits band. 
Uh, pulp has a lot of memories of, uh, for me, a lot of memories of me and my mum in the car driving down to my aunties and my uncles, uh, driving down from Aberdeen and just playing this album over and over and over and over again until the point where I just knew every single word and then once I my music taste developed I, I would revisit Pulp and just realise what a gift that band is and you know, despite the fact that it's an obvious thing to say different class is is in a different class it is honestly one of the most perfect albums ever not a bad there's not not only is there not a bad song on it there's not a bad beat there's not a bad riff there's not a bad anything to it uh, then the Rolling Stones this is where my brother comes in and his influence because when I was into movies as a teenager and my brother was into rock and roll rock and roll blues and so the Rolling Stones are my his favourite band so you know I couldn't avoid it even if I wanted to which I don't and um, yeah I mean feels a bit pointless to carry on speaking about them but it would be nice to talk about them on the podcast at some point and then we've got 60s pop rock and 60s soul which came from a number of different places probably Martin Scorsese movies when I heard uh, Then then He Kissed Me by The Crystals from the Goodfellas soundtrack I was just like this this blows my mind that wall of sound um, vibe and just the, uh, those female soul singers and the male ones, but just like that, but that voice, that, oh, my God. So that, love of that, and then there was a 60s, like 100 greatest, 100 60s hits album in the house. So I was just listening to that over and over and over again. And then Johnny Cash led me into Hank Williams. And I used to listen to Hank Williams' greatest hits whilst playing Tiger Woods' PGA Tour golf games. I don't I don't know why <laughs> I don't know how long I did this for but I've got a very clear memory of spending entire afternoons just doing that and being so happy about it I should probably do that again sometime um, so I think that covers country there's loads of other you know like Merle Haggard and things like that uh, moving on Cat Stevens another big one a big one one of the biggest Um yeah, I think my mum liked them, maybe my dad did. Um, there was, again, it's another greatest hit. A lot of these are greatest hits things, but Cat Stevens' greatest hits was in the CD collection and I used to listen to that over and over again. And again, there's a there's just an honesty and a, a majesty about his, his work, which is so unique to him, but yet draws on so many influences and I just absolutely love him. And Pink Floyd which I've mentioned before, and is which will come up again, as will Cat Stevens later on. But, I mean, for my money, Pink Floyd is it. It's the be-all and end-all of rock, pop, whatever you want to call it. It's, it's never been better. It's never been, never been better, even though they had... Well, it depends on your feelings on it, but... Like the psychedelic, like the really psychedelic, weird sort of experimental shit that they started out with, some of which is great. You know, that might be your thing, but for me, you know, Dark Side of the Moon, Medal, uh, The Wall, the Division Bell, 
others. <laughs> you know, it's just like it's unsurpassable, and it's quite scary, really. Um, but that was another one of my brothers, as was Bob Dylan. Um, yeah, a lot of these things were just CDs that my brother had, or just some. You know, sometimes I'd feel the the need to listen to some music, and um, Bob Dylan. I think Bob Dylan was one that one of a bunch of CDs that I took uh, on holiday when I had a Walkman. A lot of these are albums, um, are greatest hits stars, greatest hits stars, <laughs> are artists whose greatest hits albums were lying around, and I used to take them on holiday. So I mean I don't have to explain Bob Dylan. The next one's the Beatles. They were they had a few good tunes. Uh, then we get onto the Verve, which again we spoke about. We mentioned in the two thousand and two episode that we did a couple of weeks ago. But yeah, I mean Richard Ashcroft's lyrics and just that anthemic indie sound, you know, just just makes you insanely happy. So yeah, the Verve's been a big one. Uh, the Who, they were another. The Who, <laughs> they were another band. Uh, they were another band. They're quite big in the seventies and now. Really good, really good guitarist, had a big nose. Then uh, REM. I'm just reading. This is just a. I know this is just a list, but this is just just a list now. Uh, REM Pixies because of Fight Club. I remember trying to get into them because I love that song because I love that movie. When I was a teenager, well, actually, even when I was in primary school, I loved that movie. And then later on, read the book and tried to get into Pixies, and I was just like, no, I'm not having this. And it took a long time, but it clicked eventually. I absolutely love them. Tom Jones. And then, <laughs> and then the next three are influences from my pals in Aberdeen. So these are Credence Clearwater Revival, The Eagles, and Rod Stewart. Believe it or not, in my teenage years, like when we were starting drinking, say 14, 15, 16, we would go around each other's houses and just get drunk and listen to Credence, The Eagles and Rod Stewart, almost exclusively, and uh, Irish songs, sort of folks music, uh, which isn't on this list, but should be. Things like The Dubliners and that kind of thing. And then the last on this part of the list is Leonard Cohen, which my mum's a huge fan of and again was we had the two CD set of the best of Leonard Cohen and just the, the raw power and subtle craziness of his lyrics have always been an influence on me and then I've got three other bands here which is under the heading of Mum's Influence which is The Clash, Susie and the Banshees and The Sex Pistols so my mum was punk in the 80s um, I'd love to get her on the show at some point to explain herself first of all and to talk us through some of their, their musical uh, memories from her childhood and her teenage years because I just think it would have been an amazing time you know, you had the clash and then like Susie and the Banshees are just unreal so good and you've, you know you've got um, keep talking while you think of them. Uh, think of what they're called, Jim. Uh, can't remember now. Into the the skids, <laughs> you know, you got the skids, the undertones, things like that. And my mum, when I was a teenager, 
again, I mean, it's all very broad, I can't really remember, but she, we were in, because I like movies and that, so I went to, we'd go to HMV, and she once bought me the Sex Pistols album, and said, listen to that, because I had the CD player in my room with all my U2 and Johnny Cash albums, and she was like, right, listen to Sex Pistols, you'll love it, and I honestly cannot thank her enough for that, because it's absolutely true, um, Wow, what a time for music! What a time that would have been. Um, so yeah, so that concludes my list of before before college music. And it's it's interesting because you know even when I met you in college it was not that you never had a good music taste you knew what good music was but you didn't know what good music was post 1990 really yeah and that was like it's all classics like you got um, I mean maybe it's a good way to be brought up what do you think do you think it's good have that you started off with that base of the classics and then sort of moved on yeah I think so um, I think it was really fun to be taught mostly by my brother really where a lot of the music we listen to now you know the sort of the DNA of it going back um, I think it's fascinating you know how all rock and roll basically started from blues and you know how, how it just sort of grows and develops yeah I think it is interesting and you know I don't think everyone needs to have a particularly dense knowledge or anything like that in order to appreciate music is you know it's just it's all about listening but I think I've always sort of approached music in that way and particularly when I did get to college I kind of I felt like I was really out of the loop you know what I mean because particularly when you're you know that well not particularly when you're that age but you know when you're sort of developing your persona as you kind of are during those years you know music does have a lot to do with that and I didn't have any connection to any of that other than music that to most people was sort of old music or weird music you know and I think that was just like a, a hangover from secondary school really you know because while well, everyone was listening to I don't know who Nicky Minaj or the Black Eyed Peas or something you know I was <laughs> I was listening to Engelbert Humperdinck and Tony Christie and shit like that. So, you know, I've always felt in some way an outsider when it comes to music. But what you learn as you get older, uh, not that any of us are old at this stage, but as you as you go on, you do realise that it doesn't matter. You know I mean, it really... It, honestly, none of it matters. You know, if, if you only like uh, 90s grunge music... Then that's fine. I mean, that's what works for you. It's, it's it's such a strange one because, you know, particularly when you get, you know, particularly when you're doing a music podcast and you sort of and like, again, it it feels like part of your personality, part of your sort of, what's what you say, your armor. But that's not right. You know, <laughs> are you are you going to edit this to make yourself sound better? No. You know what? No, we'll leave this stream of consciousness bullshit. <laughs> because sometimes you get so close to you're running so close to your point and you nearly get it but you just miss it but um, yeah 
I think in general what I'm trying to say is that it is good to have you know to to know who the good bands are when you're at that age. Whereas I think now it doesn't really matter. You know, I, mean, I, I don't really like when we started the podcast. I really did care about what people thought of my music taste. You know, and I would tailor my answers to certain people. You know, like if I thought, oh, this guy probably doesn't like this kind of band, I'm not going to see I like them. You know, I mean, whereas I think I'm getting to the stage now where I'm like, I just just like what I like and I'm very glad that we're moving away from the music analysis stuff in the podcast and we're just celebrating the music we like, maybe discussing it, but kind of moving on. Um... I honestly don't know if that answered your question, Dougal. And I have every opportunity to stop this and go back, but, you know, I think we'll just press on. If that's alright. Is that alright with you, Dougal? Cheers. Uh, I would like to say, though, that listening to that entire bit there, I feel like you've kind of undersold your pre-college music taste on this podcast specifically. Because you put some tunes up from that kind of era, um, but you always kind of like backpedaled on it a wee bit. But every band that you named and every album that you named are all like it all fits under the category of some of the best music of all time. So I don't, I think I think this uh, this before college, Jim's music taste is fucking stellar. And people should grow up with that kind of influence on their lives. Oh, well, that's, that's nice. I appreciate that, man. Yeah, well, let's uh, let's fire on and move on to that just now. So you obviously, like we were saying before college, had this sort of, this grounding of the classics. But again, post-1990s, you'd listen to the Verve and Robbie Williams. So you were sort of lacking in that department. And then just go through sort of like, this college switch, uh, the made a stone effect, if you will. Yes, so the made of stone documentary, directed by the immortally amazing Shane Meadows, was the moment, and it's quite exciting, really, because not a lot of people could pinpoint the precise moment where you know everything changes significantly. And music being a big part of our lives, it's 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 quite exciting to have this this exact moment. So basically, went back to good friend Joe's house uh, after a night out, and we were pretty drunk, as you'd imagine. And Joe said, "Okay, I'll show you this documentary, and I promise you, after the first shot, you're gonna be in." And so the film starts with Ian Brown, uh, lead singer of the Stone Roses, walking past all the fans at the barrier, and it's in slow motion, and over the top of it you hear the words of Alfred Hitchcock being interviewed, and he's asked, what is your definition of happiness? And he says, a clear horizon, nothing to worry about, on your plate. And he, you know, I can't remember the word, the quote for a bit of a, for a bit, but basically just goes on to detail 
this creative space and uh, can't bear was I can't bear quarrelling anger is wasted energy all these sort of things you got Ian Brown walking past those fans and then underneath the whole thing you've got the the bass line that starts um, I want to be adored playing underneath it and the fucking credits kick in with the drums and I've got to say yeah I was 100% in 100% and it's a great documentary and Shane Meadows is just he's one of the greatest filmmakers of all time I don't think he gets anywhere near as much credit as he should you know not just for that documentary but for all his work and anyway just made that sound that I hate <laughs> anyway yeah so there's a sequence in it where basically the, the, the film the Stone Roses made so even if you've never heard of Stone Roses or even if you don't like the Stone Roses I still encourage you to watch this documentary Um, basically the the documentary details or chronicles the band's getting back together <laughs> like they're reforming and they're going on this tour and they've got these Heaton Park gigs at the end of this European tour um, Heaton Park being in Manchester like the big you know the big gig but before that happens they decided that they wanted to put on a small intimate gig just to warm up before the big tour because once they got back together, they realised they actually needed a little bit of practice before they hit the big stage. So they didn't mention anything about it until the day of the concert. And we'll say gig instead of concert. <laughs> until the day of the gig. And it was in Par Hall uh, in Manchester. And basically they didn't say anything about it until then. And now I'm starting to think, is, was it in Manchester? Well, it must be. Anyway... It's called the Par Hall sequence in my head. And the day of, they basically said over radio, over social media, whatever, if you could get to this location by a certain time with a piece of Stone Roses memorabilia, you'll get in to see the first gig they've performed live in like 15 years or something like that. And so this documentary is called The Stone Roses Made of Stone and there's a good, I want to say 20 to 20 minutes a half an hour sequence where the Stone Roses aren't in it and it's just all about the fans and you get to see loads of interviews with people and just like what they've given up that day in order to be there you know there's with one guy who's just rat, like, ran out of his office job and just didn't explain himself and there was a bit the, the best one is the builder that's knocked through someone's exterior wall of their house heard this thing on the radio and just <laughs> ran away and left it and he's like saying to the camera, I'm sorry, <laughs> but I needed to be here. And and then later on as the gig started, there's one guy who's a teacher, or might have been a headmaster of the school that he worked at. And he does everything to try and get in. He tries to sell his car. He tries to sell his house. <laughs> there another one of his teachers, I think he says, <laughs> one of the teachers that works at my school's here. And she doesn't even know anything about music. I offered her a promotion or something like that. Like, he really goes to this, these extreme lengths. And I remember sitting there watching this thinking, as much as I love the music I like, there's, as much as I love the music I love, there's no band on earth I would do anything like that for. 
you know, I, rem- I remember thinking that very, very clearly. And um, not to spoil any parts of the film, but the head teacher guy did get let in, <laughs> and, he, and he had a great time. And he came out, he's all sweating, and he sort of looks into the camera. You could just see in his eyes that that's everything he could ever have wanted, and that that really mesmerised me. And it started. And the reason why it's so important is because it started an engagement into music, which I hadn't had before. Mostly it was passive before then. And uh, I mean, it was my, mostly my mate Joe, you know, he like, reintroduced me to Oasis, because obviously I knew who Oasis were. Um, but he like, if he was giving me lifts, places he would play Oasis in the car and shit like that. And I was just like, oh, these songs are just make you feel so good. And then I really got into Noel Gallagher's High Flying Birds, which we'll talk about later on. And just through that, you know, it was just that, and then Arctic Monkeys, Vaccines, Kasabian, you know, all these sort of, (laughs) the other ones, (laughs) that sort of wide net, it was quite a wide net to cast, but it just, it, it, it really just launched me into being quite obsessed with music in a way that I hadn't before and I drew on things I'd learnt from a childhood and things I learnt from my teenage years and just started to grow my love for it and then because before college as well I hadn't been to any gigs like I'd watched live music but I'd never sought it out if you know what I mean so it is it is it's a massive thing. It's a, it's of huge importance. And Dougal and I discussed Estonia's knows is quite a lot during our um, two-part episode a couple of weeks ago. But it was the soundtrack to college. It it really was, and it still absolutely blows my mind. Primal Scream. I'm just remembering. <laughs> I can't remember when I got into Primal Scream, but they're one of my favourite bands, and they're not in my. Uh, list coming up later on but I just f- felt like I'd shout their name <laughs> Primal Scream I think I got into them around about that time as well so yeah what what do you reckon Dougal? it's fucking you, you're right though that opening shot almost haunts you with how fucking spectacular it is that opening have you, you seen Made of Stone William? No, but, uh, well, I mean, I'm going to watch it after this because, fuck me, you've sold it very, very well. It's (laughs) insane. Insane how you walk away from it and you just go, I want to do all that right now. Like, it's (laughs) it's mental. Um, Don't watch it until gigs are back or else you'll get very sad. (laughs) Um, But, like, yeah. (laughs) So... Since sort of your since your awakening, if you like, you obviously you listen to Stone Roses and then sort of this, I don't know this uh, the the bands that have came out that are actually quite good. You started to really go in depth with. Um, I'm not really sure where I'm going with this question. Uh, <laughs> what do you think of what do you think of Alex Turner? <laughs> Where did the love affair with Alex Turner go from? Obviously, AM started it. 
Well, let me tell you, Dougal, it didn't happen overnight, but it certainly happened and it hasn't left. You know what I mean? And, you know, I think that I should stop doing the impression now, but it's just such a good impression that... No, I'll stop it. Yeah, um... My obsession in love with Alex Turner has has, has yet to wane, to be honest. Um, yep, 2013 was when AM came out, Arctic Monkeys' fifth album, and up until that point, I'd you know I'd heard some of the songs in house parties. I think particularly about Lagoon and the Dance Floor. I certainly remember that, and Marty Bomb and um, some of the other ones. <laughs> But yeah, it was just it just came out that year, and once I'd got into Stone Roses and that kind of thing, um, that album came out, and I think not that year, or maybe the year after, two thousand fourteen, Kasabian's album came out forty eight something. I can't remember now, off the top of my head. That album came out as well, and so Joe was just basically just saying, "Listen to this, listen to this, listen to this," and I listened to AM. I, I want to say for a period of about f- maybe three months, I listened to it on my way to college. I listened to the whole album. I listened to the whole album on the way into college. I listened to it on the way back from college. I listened to it once I got home. I mean, I'm talking. It probably wasn't three months. It was probably just about a month. But seriously, listening to that album at least twice a day, minimum. <laughs> um, and I, I was just obsessed with it. I hadn't heard anything quite like it, and I just I knew every single beat, every beat, like every bass note, every drum hit, every time my hit it with the sticks. I can remember. Yeah, and then I just I went back, which is actually um, it's interesting because I've quite a lot of bands I've got into that way. Like I like their later stuff, and then I've went back to the start, and I've not been. So keen on it. Not that I do not like Arctic Monkeys' first and second album, because I really do. On the first album, I mean that's just that's just hit after hit of garage rock. It's it's but it's it's sophisticated. It's 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 you know what I mean. <laughs> Still getting excited about it now, even just thinking about it. But fifth, fourth, and third album for me are is my sort of favorite era of Arctic Monkeys. I just. There's, and I know I've mentioned it before, but there's just something in the the sultry sophistication of of some of the lyrics and humbug, you know what I mean? It was just, oh, it just it just gets me in my core, right to me core, and um, I do apologise for that. I'll try and stop doing it. Um, that and then also the last Shadow Puppets. I mean, the first Shadow Last Shadow Puppets album had been out at that time. That was two thousand and. Nine, I want to say, 2008, 2009. So that already came out by the time AM came out, and I think I actually got into that album before the rest of Arctic Monkeys. There's just something so indulgent and so fun about The Last Shadow Puppets, but I think it's, it's earned as well. You know what I mean? It's not... I mean, it's taking the piss a wee bit, and it's, as I say, it's having its cake and eating it, but you can't deny the songwriting and the, the singing and... It's just magic. So I don't know. I, um, I mean, I, th- 
you know, I am heterosexual, but I think there must be, and I, I, you know, it sounds a bit seedy to say, but there is a sexual component to it. <laughs> whether I, you know, I mean, whether I like it or not, it's it's just he's just such, he's just so cool, man. You know, what I mean, and. A lot of people. I've heard a lot of people say that Huxley is just a massive wanker and all this stuff, and I, I really don't think he is, to be honest. Um, considering how much of a wanker he sort of is entitled to be, going from an eighteen, nineteen, writing, recording, and touring, these number one hits. You know what I mean? That, I mean, he had every right to be ten times more of an arsehole than he is. I think he's. I had this worded. I think I said, I said. I think I said better words in the original recording. I can't remember now. Um, it's not that he's a wanker. He's a tosser or something like that. It's not that he's, a, he's not a tosser either. He's like he's a bit of a wanker, but he's not really. I don't think. I think he's every right um, to be so. And God, I've been recording for five minutes. I kind of want to re-record that and say it a bit more articulately. But you know what? I'm not gonna. I just, I just love him, and his lyrics, his his passion for music as well, I think is evident in something like the way he produced Alexandra Savia's first album, Belladonna of Sadness. Like he just like there's a, there's a level of professionalism and and enjoyment and just just deep deep love for it. Um. So yeah, I just think he's brilliant. And um, I also forgot to mention the Black Keys, which I know I've mentioned a fair bit in different episodes since we started, but I feel I should take this opportunity now because they don't come up later on at any point. But Black Keys, I got into, again, during my teenage years, my brother gave me a copy of Rubber Soul and I loved it. And I still like them. <laughs> Sorry, I was looking at the, I was looking at something at the wall there, and I got distracted. Right, <laughs> how shit is this? <laughs> I forget people are going to be listening to this. Um, okay, so the next little bit you're going to hear is a wee bonus for you. Uh, just a little insight into the recording process. As I said before, we all record ourselves individually, and then put our sides of the uh, recordings up onto the Google Drive and whoever's editing it takes it off of there. But what happens is because we use Zoom and Zoom, if you have more than two people using it, only gives you 45 minutes. So you have to, we have to stop every 45 minutes or so and set up a new Zoom recording. But we don't stop recording our voices onto Audacity, we, we keep that going so in between you get little snippets of things and here is for your pleasure something which was never intended to be shown it is Dougal doing one of his nonsense songs which he he's, he's done, he's always done it since I lived with him even he's always done this uh, it's an absolute treat and I hope you enjoy it. Garam masala in the cheesecake. 
Oh fuck me, oh fuck my life. There's garam masala in the cheesecake. Oh fuck me, oh fuck my life. <laughs> I have taken to singing when we're not on the uh, recordings <laughs> for most of this season and you can't the song that I just made up you can't release to the world oh really <laughs> no, it's, uh, well no there's nothing wrong with it it's just a shit song it's just me singing about there being garam masala and the cheesecake <laughs> Don't know where it came from. As soon as we went off, I literally start going. Well, Amazing. there's Gary Masala. Fucking hell. That's good. Oh, I can't wait Christ to hear almighty. that. Uh, is that why you've been editing so much? <laughs> Cutting out all your mini songs? Yeah, yeah, because I genuinely do it. it doesn't, I don't even think about it. I just close it down, getting ready for the next one, or like we're recording, but we've all taken a break. Yeah. And I'm like, da 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 da. And it's fucking. There was a uh, there was one that I was singing to myself today, and Louise just like I didn't like that one. That one sounded scary. Her <laughs> <laughs> favorite is still. It was when I was steaming in the morning, uh, and there was nothing to do with this particular subject. But I just it just sounded funny at the time. But it was put it in your bum. Put it in your bum. Put it in your bum, put it in your bum. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, we have come to a point, because I'm slightly just wanting to make sure we give enough time to it, to listen to your Baron Landmass CD, which is obviously our famous no copyright infringement segment here mm. on Tuna Boot. So we've had mines and we've had L monies. Now time for yours, Jimmy Boy. Take us away to your Baron Landmass CD. Alright, this is very exciting. The Baron Landmass CD starts off with Hypocrite by Cage the Elephant, which is prop they're probably my favourite band now. Um as we'll hear later on. My favourite band at the time was going in a different direction. And I'd keep making that noise. <laughs> and um I needed something else, really, another obsession, and I'd heard of Cage Elephant before Liam mentioned them to me. I'd heard the song Trouble from Tell Me I'm Pretty. That was one of my Spotify recommend uh, recommendations. So I'd heard that, and I'd listened to a couple of wee bits here and there, but it never really resonated with me until Liam yeah, continued to mention them. And I can't remember... I, well, it must have been social cues, because that was out at the time. Social cues and um, melophobia, which this song is fr- the album this song is from. Those were the ones that seemed to resonate with me for whatever reason. And also on Spotify there was a track by track discussion that Matt Schultz did when he basically broke down how each track was conceived. And I remember listening to him and just thinking, this this guy's mind. It's just so interesting to me in his approach to his art and and you know the subject matter about songs. I think was it Telescope, the song Telescope, when he's talking about how he got this new house 
<laughs> and because he'd never had his own house before, he felt like he needed to spend time in all the different rooms of the house in order to like fully appreciate it. And he's, <laughs> he said, this is just stupid. And things like that. And I was just like, yeah, this guy's... This guy's got it. And the whole band are obviously just so unbelievably talented and some of the most creative and inventive songwriting and I was going to say like little musical solutions to things but what I mean by that is just like the direction some of the music takes it's not always exactly what you think and you but they make it work it's it's out there without being obtrusive and I just think it's amazing everything from the garage rock screamy stuff of the first two albums to the more heavily produced sort of darker pop inflected stuff later um, unreal and f- I don't know why this song Hypocrite is my favourite I, I, I don't know I honestly don't know and it's not something I'm I'm really bothered about learning either it just it just is so it kicks off the Barren Landmass CD which I've, I'm hoping is arranged in such a way that is pleasing you know I've, I've curated this list so I believe it to be a good list um, a good playlist so if you if you want to if you want to uh, follow it uh, I think it's public uh, Troubled Stuntman Troubled Stuntman is my username have a wee look it's called Desert Island Discs Jim Ray <laughs> because you know I'm, I'm arrogant enough to believe that I will need this list because <laughs> I will be invited onto the show at some point a show which we are not in any way well we are but you know so the second song is Made of Stone by the Stone Noses for reasons that should be obvious by now um, then the next one is Stay Far Away So Close by U2 because I need I needed a U2 song in my Baron Landmass CD and there were so many to choose from I was it came down to this one Walk On from Why Can't Leave Behind and a couple of songs from Machtel Baby it could have been any of them really or something from Joshua Tree but I had to choose this one and there's a funny story <laughs> behind it when I was in secondary school during registration, um, during my sort of peak obsession with U2, I was listening to this song, Stay Far Away So Close, in my head. <laughs> and we get, got to the bit where it's something like Miami, New Orleans, London, Belfast, and Berlin. And I was listening to that in my head, and then the whole class was silent and looking at me. And I turned around and realised, oh, I've been singing out loud for some time. <laughs> and I remember thinking, even then, my life's not going to be as easy as it is for some other people. I've got, my life is so hard. <laughs> no, I'm only joking, it's cushy, but, <laughs> you know, the, like, why why do these things have to happen sometimes? But, um, yeah, so for that reason, I think... Not for the reason that I sung it out loud, but just because it's it's one of the most magical songs. It was originally written not for Sinatra, but with like with Sinatra in mind. And it was that was its original working title was Sinatra, and it's just there's just 
you know, as magic as U2 songwriting is, there's something about this one that just has the, the edge. It's like it almost it shouldn't exist. It's amazing. And, you know, some of you who've maybe never heard it before or listened to it and think, that's all right. Or it's shite, you know what I mean? But for whatever reason, I just, ah, I cannot get enough of it. And I would highly recommend if you type in uh, U2 Stay Far Away So Close live acoustic. If you, I can't remember where it is now, but if you get the one where they have the big round, like circular stage thing, and it's just the edge on the acoustic guitar and Bono singing, it will melt your arse. And I'll just, just take a sip of beer here. Get to hear this all in real time. Ah, wasn't that exciting? Alright, so now we get down to the nitty gritty. Track four is Don't Go Away, live for the Teenage Cancer Trust at the Royal Albert Hall by Noel Gallagher. So, we all know I'm a massive Noel Gallagher fan. His songwriting means so much to me. Um, He's definitely my favourite songwriter. Not the most gifted musician but not a terrible one either um, it, it's it's, I don't know it's not even I, 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 sorry for leaving lots of gaps this is something I've been prepared for but for some reason now I'm getting all I don't know what to say um, so just be honest yeah his, his music has improved my life um, 100% I mean my life is, is great, but it would not have been anywhere near as good as it is without his music. It, it really is that important to me. And I understand, similar to the YouTube thing I was talking about earlier, a lot of people hate Noel Gallagher, think he's a prick. And, you know, I, I've got no defence for him. I, I, can't, I, I can't say that I've agreed with everything he's ever said. But I do believe, all told, his force in the world has been a positive one more than a negative one. And I've been lucky enough to see him twice live. The first time I saw him live was actually on his third the High Flying Birds tour, the Stranded on the Earth tour in Glasgow. And probably the best night of my life. I remember, I'll, I'll never forget it. It was me and my brother. And we were like four rows from the front. And he came out on stage... I saw him, and this is not an exaggeration, I saw him, my heart stopped beating, and I went, right, that's fine, I'm just going to leave now, <laughs> that's good, <laughs> but then another part of my brain went, oh no, 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 he's gonna, they're going to do a, a, a concert, they're going to do a, a gig concert full of songs, I was like, alright, yeah, I'll stay then, <laughs> and it started with Fort Knox first song on Who Built the Moon and then went into Holy Mountain which my god my god even sitting alone in this room right now <laughs> I recount this memory with oh just overwhelming waves of pleasure unreal I mean seriously unreal this is the brass section the huge just oh mate I was having it I was I was living yeah, living for that and so so why have I chosen uh, Don't Go Away 
I don't, I don't know exactly. It was uh, actually Dougal who gave me a copy, my first copy of this album. It was in, it was in one of the papers. Uh, a copy of it. I can't remember which one, but um, yeah, he gave it to me. And there's just, you know, I've talked a, a bit about honesty today, like honesty in, in singers and in songwriting and things like that. And I just think. You know, for all the bravado, all the arrogance and everything like that, you just give Noel Gallagher an acoustic guitar and just give him five minutes of your time. He will just... He'll take you there. He really will. Or he will for me, anyway. And there's something about this recording. Just acoustic guitar, his singing is lovely. The song's brilliant. I think it... Miles... Milesly? It surpasses the uh, recording or the, the album version on Be Here Now. Surpasses that. Even though Liam's the better singer, um, this version surpasses the the album version, and yeah, just that, and then the acoustic guitar and the strings. It just, yeah, it just it just works. It just works every time, and uh, it's been a pleasure to discuss Noel Gallagher without, you know, without Liam doing his wee jokes, which I understand are just jokes, and it's just it's all about fun. Good natured joshing, but and and I'm I'm not upset with you at all, Liam, or anything like that. But it's just like over the years, being an old Gallagher fan, it's difficult for a number of reasons. Actually, too, I'll do them quickly. Firstly, people assume if you're an old Gallagher fan that you're a huge Oasis fan, and that you're a you know, and I know this is an unfair sterilization, uh, <laughs> generalization, but they assume that you're just some sort of meat-headed thunk. You know what I mean? That just, just wants to shout, uh, scream Wonderwall, which I don't understand. I don't understand the correlation between Oasis's music and sort of over laddishness, because it's because Oasis's music a lot of it's very hopeful and very dreamlike and aspirational. It's not, you know, what I mean, it's maybe it's obviously you know, entwined with the attitude of the of the the brothers at the time and the whole band and the scene and everything, but. I don't know. I don't think I don't feel there's anything particularly masculine about being in a band or being, you know, particularly a frontman of a band, being a singer. You know what I mean? But anyway, so there's that. You get lumped into that, and then you also, th- you know, there is a misconception that there's there's no real musicianship in Oasis, which I have to admit there's, you know, it's simple. A lot of it, not that I could achieve any of it, but you know, compared to other bands, yeah, maybe it's not quite as dynamic or whatever you want to call it, but it's effective, and that's all that matters. You know what I mean? So there's that, and secondly, people love telling you how much they hate Noel Gallagher. Like no matter what, you know, no matter how impassionately you've talked about them, they just love telling you how much they hate him and you don't get that with any other band or any other artist I don't think so sometimes it's hard and particularly when you take everything that's said to you to heart like I do you know I just wish I could just let go but but that's it but anyway I sincerely love him and so I'm taking that to my my barren landmass Next up, Where Did the Children Play? by Yusuf Cat Stevens. So, 
at this at this point I have to give my honourable mention to Bill Withers because I think Lean On Me should be in this list and if we had nine Lean On Me would be the next song in it and it was between this song and the U2 song actually oddly enough I was like oh can I take one of them out just put Lean On Me in I was like no what you can do is just have a have an honourable mention but have eight officials so <laughs> Lean On Me Bill Withers should be in there because I mean, the, the the velvet gold of that man's voice is just unsurpassed. But anyway, so we've got Where Do The Children Play? And it might seem a bit insensitive when I tell you after I've said, oh, can I punt this song out? Uh, the reason that this song's in there is because of uh, my partner, Becky, who saved my life in many ways. Um, when we first started dating, um, one of the first uh, musical sort of matches that we had was Cat Stevens. Because she was into, she's into sort of more poppy sort of stuff, and so I quite wrongly assumed, oh, this isn't gonna work. You know, she likes Lady Gaga and, you know, what they called, the gir- the girls, the pussycat women or the lady dolls or whatever they're called. <laughs> you know, I was just like, oh, is that all she likes? Oh, this isn't gonna work. As if that matters. Um, it really doesn't. But um, no, I find out that she loved Cat Stevens. I'm just going to refer to it as Cat Stevens, even though Yusuf Cat Stevens is probably the. Uh, but I'm just going to forget. It's not out of disrespect. Um, yes, yeah, so I find out she liked that, and then the first couple of times that I came around to my flat, I would also, I would see the the acoustic guitar in the corner, and I'd think, should I, should I play a song? And I'm like, no, no. It's so that's like that's the definition of gauche. You don't want to be doing that. Um, but I was like, I oh, could do it. I was like, nah, don't do it. And then after maybe the fifth time she was round, I was drunk enough and I just went, fuck it, I'm going to do it. And the song I played was Where Did The Children Play? Because it's just four chords and beautiful lyrics. And then for our anniversary, first year anniversary, Becky got a picture of us printed onto a seven-inch single of that song. So it's our song, <laughs> uh, and that's that. And it'll be the first dance at our wedding, I'm sure. And as lovely as the song is, I do wish there was maybe another Cat Stevens songs, uh, another Cat Stevens song that we used instead, because he has so many beautiful love songs, and this is basically a song about how capitalism ruins values of humanity and things like that you know um, but regardless that is it (laughs) and also interestingly something that happened since I deleted um, my recording of this episode is that I listened to Yusuf Cat Stevens's Baraland Mass CD but the official one uh, and he took one of his own songs which, ugh, that's gauche. <laughs> no, that is gauche. I'm still not sure how I feel about it. Anyway, moving on. Sorry, I've been talking for ages. Right, Would That I by Hosier is the next one. Now, for my money, Hosier is the greatest living artist at the minute. The, excuse me, the songwriting 
the immense vocal power that he has, the musicianship, not just from himself, but from every one of his band, both live and in the studio, the amount of care and attention and time that is taken into the the album recordings are amazing. If you're lucky enough to have the vinyls, like you just you can just like you just feel the front cover. You know, you just you just feel it, and you just you know, you know, <laughs> you know <laughs> that love and care and attention is going to these things, and it just oh, his songwriting, the everything about it. I just think it's it's unreal and. The best gig I've ever been to was Hosier. Uh, live at the Usher Hall in 2018, it would be now. 2019? No, 2019, in September. Um, and <laughs> Dougal was supposed to be coming with me to that because I bought, when I saw that he was playing, I, I got two tickets and I said to Dougal, Lodge, oh, what come? And he'd bought one of the tickets. And then I was speaking to my stepdad, Derek, about it. And me and him kind of got obsessed with the hosier kind of around the same time. And so I asked to go, would you, would you mind selling me the ticket back so that I could take Derek? And I felt really bad about it <laughs> that, you know, we didn't get to share that time. But I'm kind of glad in a way because Derek and I still talk about it. I mean, I'm not joking. He, he played for two hours and the last song was sung with as much, like, Amazingness, like it was sung with as much skill, like everything about it was as good for the last song as it was for the start, and every song in the middle, it didn't dip. It, none of them missed a note. It was insane, and Derek and I went to the Shakespeare uh, bar just across from Dusher Hall, got our pints, and we sat in silence for twenty minutes, unable to comprehend what we'd just seen. And Derek had seen the the original Pink Floyd and David Bowie live and Queen you know all these heavy hitters and he still contends to this day that Hosier it might be the best gig he's ever seen so yeah just I mean not enough good words to say about that um, track number 7 is Comfortably Numb live at Pompeii by David Gilmore for reasons that I think are clear Um. This this um, Baralanwa CD originally started with um, "In the Flesh." But I say it like that because it's the one it's the one that starts um, the wall. It's "In the Flesh" with the question mark, not the one at the end. And it, this originally started with that because that was my favorite Pink Floyd song for a long time. And because at one time originally it was "Brain Damage," then it was um, "In the Flesh." But whenever I'd watch "Comfortably Numb." Uh, live at Pompeii by David Gilmore which I've talked about during a live episode in season 2 whenever I'd watch it I would just think nah, this, nah, this this, is as good as it gets actually music's never been better than this uh, yeah this is the ultimate it, it, yeah it, it, it's just there's just nothing better and I remember listening to Martin Freeman's Desert Island Discs um, which this isn't this is something else I remember listening to his one and he chose a Beatles song and he just said I'm choosing it because I can't think of anything better I just like that is it I just I, if, I can't think of anything better and that's the way I feel about this one doesn't get any better than that and so the final track is Glass in the Park 
by Alex Turner from the Submarine soundtrack. One of my favourite movies, one of my favourite books, one of my favourite albums, one of my favourite soundtracks, one of my favourite songs. <laughs> just everything about it. Um, it's just the most beautiful song I've ever heard. And I really think that is all I need to say about it. Well, that is a fabulous CD, if I do say so, and um, thank you very much for sharing with us. If you want to hear Jim speak about more about David Gilmore's version of um, whatever song he said, the Pink Floyd song, I'm pretty sure we have chatted about it comfortably enough. I'm pretty sure we have chatted about it on an alternative tune on season two. Go back or... and find it. Or we can re-record a bit for that and put it on a Patreon that we can set up and make some money off you guys. We might do that in season five. Who knows? <laughs> um, thank you so much, Jim. That was uh, brilliant. Really nice. Um, yeah. Much like much like how we do things in our seasons, we start off a bit ropey and then we got into the flow and we end on a high. Thank you. That was awesome um, and really, really interesting. I have one thing to say uh, at the end of this and Jim the jokes are never going to stop but I will go on record on the podcast and say that I don't actually think no shit this is the end of season 3 I'm just letting it out there we've done the bits we're moving away from dissecting music I will go on record no Gallagher is not as shit as I make him out to be. <laughs> <laughs> right. Thank you very much. Awesome. Do you have an album recommendation you want to give as well? Yeah, I will go for Ladies and Gentlemen, We Are Floating in Space by Spiritualized. Just listen to it. Nice. Fair. Love it. Good. Thank you very much. And thank you very much for everyone. Uh, listening to this, listening to us speak about our music histories, listening to us do random shit that we're trying out throughout this entire season. It's always appreciated. It's been great fun to try and do new shit and we are going in a totally different direction. Next time you hear us, which is going to be a month for us, but only a short week for you people, it's going to be fucking batshit insane, mate. So I'm saying. Very well done, Diggle. Very well done. (laughs) Dude, I am am out of purred hat play. And into Dougal Thompson. Fucking let's do it. We'll do a podcast now. What we do? <laughs> How's life? Where's your kids? Right. Anyway, let's go. <laughs> it has, yeah, it's been absolutely, it's been awesome. Loved it. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much. You boys, it's been great. Thanks for carrying the stuff when we've all been in different places and different, um, not being able to join the podcast, whether we're searching for advertising or our internet's gone away. It's been fucking great and been, we will yeah just yeah thanks for uh yeah actually giving us a listen like even if you don't like and subscribe which you should do and do it right now uh, it has been absolutely fantastic to see those numbers going up and up and up weekly it's well mm-hmm. some, sometimes daily as well like some of the jumps up are fucking mental and it means a lot always that's yeah, the end thanks. of season three, guys. 
Uh, just before we go, I'd like to say thanks to all our sponsors from Bud to Bins and Buckets and Bins. Um, everyone in between, it's been fucking, it's been much appreciated. We'll see who sponsors us in season four. Skoosh, skoosh, balush, motherfuckers. Love it. <laughs>